There's no hooks. <laughs> this is exactly right. There's no hooks. Um, growing up, there was a neighbor next to us. His name was Mr. Ralph, and he had a penchant for getting different kinds of baits, interesting baits and things. And my dad loved to laugh at him. And one of the baits that my dad laughed at him about the most was a bait uh, called the Vibrabat. And I'd never seen one or whatever. I looked, I Googled it the other day, and there actually is a Vibrabat that you can still buy. Here's a picture of the Vibrabat. There, <laughs> Mr. Ralph ordered it from a magazine. Daddy said it's a hunk of lead about that big. He said you can throw it as long as the bayou is long. He said you can, and it sounds like a wash tub hit the water when it hits like a douche. <laughs> and uh, I was talking to my daddy yesterday. I said, you remember Mr. Ralph had that Viber bat? He said, never caught a fish. <laughs> I th if you've ever watched the, um, the Swamp People, I think that Vibrabat's at the bottom of one of those bayous today. <laughs> probably where that thing's sitting at. Well, all kind of interesting baits, uh, unusual baits. The, the thing is, the baits are designed to entice the fish to bite because we want to eat the fish. That's why it's called a lure or a bait. It's enticing the fish to do something that if he has enough brain to know, he'd really be sad he did, okay? It's really against his good, against his good intentions or against uh, his good future for him to do that. And the reason I say that is that's what the Satan does to us. He tries to lure us or bait us into doing things that are not in our best interest. And so to do it, what does he have to do? He has to kind of paint it up, doesn't he? But we have to remember that in all of Satan's temptation, there is a hook embedded in there that he's trying to get us to do things that we really don't want to do. We finished up last time in chapter 16 with the bold judgments. At the end of that chapter 16, you expect chapter 17 to be the battle of Armageddon. He's luring all these nations together to the plain. It's really called the plain of Megiddo. We think Armageddon's kind of a, a Hebrew, kind of a corruption of that word. Uh, but anyway, that, that's kind of what you expect in, in, uh, in Revelation 17, but you don't get it to Revelation 19. That's where we get the final great battle. What happens in chapter 17, as John uh, often does in Revelation, we get these judgments, and then we get the backstory. Then he wants to tell us kind of what's going on behind the scenes, what's going on spiritually behind these physical scenes. And that's what's happening here in Revelation chapter 17. John gives us a backstory. And the backstory here is how Satan tempts the nations of the world. And I want to apply it to us tonight because Revelation is not just about what's happening out there, but Revelation, you know, John wrote that to the seven churches and they were being tempted to compromise. They were being tempted to be lukewarm. They were being tempted to give in to the world. And so uh, John is writing them to say, beware of the temptations of the evil one. We pray, what? Deliver us from evil, right? And so that's kind of really what I see in Revelation chapter 17. It's easy. You got uh, 10 horns, you got seven mountains, you got the great prostitute, you got the beast, you got all. It's a really difficult chapter to interpret. And it's really one you have to kind of be a little bit careful about saying this image means exactly this. Um, anytime people have tried to do that in history, it's been kind of problematic uh, in the 1930s and 40s, of course, the prophecy teachers um, found the Antichrist in Hitler. Uh, the Antichrist was in Mussolini. Uh, after that, for some reason, I'm not enough of a history buff to know why, Henry Kissinger was a big uh, target. A lot of people thought Kissinger was the Antichrist. Uh, one that's kind of sad um, is the last leader of, of the Soviet Union, Mikhail Gorbachev, was uh, a lot of people touted him as the Antichrist. Uh, the Antichrist has a fatal wound on his, on his head, and some people pointed to Gorbachev's birthmark. 
as a sign that he would, which really is kind of heartbreaking. <laughs> you think about the poor man had a birthmark, you know. <laughs> but anyway, he was the Antichrist for a while. And then you get um, the seven kingdoms, uh, ten horns, all this kind of stuff. Uh, prophecy teachers back in the uh, 70s and 80s, when the uh, European, not the European market, the common market came along, uh, a lot of prophecy teachers saw that as these ten horns. And um, especially in 1981, when the common market hit ten nations, uh, a lot of the prophecy teachers got really, really excited about that. These are the ten horns. These are the ten toes of Daniel. They're coming in. They're, you know, we're right at the end of time. And, of course, when it got to 15 nations, that kind of that went south on them. And then when it ended, and the European Union, is which it's become now, has 27 nations. So what I'm saying is it's difficult to try to, every generation has done it, and we're right to do it. We're right to look, how do we apply revelation to our day and time? But we need to be open and approach this with humility and saying to try to find that and, and, and to be dead sure this is what this person, this country is what it's talking about is a little bit hard to do. Now, let's dig into the meaning of Revelation and see what he says. He's talking here about the temptations of the evil one, the temptations of Satan to lead us away, to drag us away from a relationship with God. I'm going to say three things about uh, Satan's temptations to help us as I see it in Revelation 17 tonight. Number one, they're dazzling. The temptations are dazzling. Many of our fishing lures are, right? You got spinner baits with the spinners turned around. You got spoons that are that way. You have uh, plastic worms with curly tails on the end of it. I remember when the crankbaits first came out, they had the little BBs in them. They rattled. That was supposed to attract fish. Uh, now we've got LED lights lighting up. I'm not sure if that's going to attract fish or not. Uh, Jeff was telling me uh, that years ago there was a cottonseed. Um, what was it called, Jeff? Milk cakes, milk cakes made out of cotton seeds that fishermen put in their, their fish traps and they would kind of diffuse out in the water and the smell would attract the catfish in. And I made the mistake one day of being in, uh, in a Walmart when I was about 10 years old. I saw the catfish Charlie. Anybody remember catfish Charlie? Yeah, I made the mistake of poking one of those up, taking a whiff. <laughs> that's, that's funk. Well, if you've never done that, you ought to try it at least once because that's some funky stuff right there. Uh, anyway, it's, we're trying to dazzle. We're trying to attract. You're trying to entice. I want you to look in, uh, in Revelation chapter 17. And, and remember, all of that is to the fish's detriment, right? All to the fish's detriment. Look at seven, Revelation 17, first four verses. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on the many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And so you have here John carried away in the spirit. When he's carried away in the spirit, God's going to show him something. And then when he's carried away in the spirit here, he sees a... High-class prostitute, dazzling prostitute who has intoxicated the nations with her immorality. Now, who is this? Everybody wants to know who is this prostitute. Some believe that this is a worldwide religion. That's kind of a spokesperson uh, for the Antichrist and for the beast. Others think it's a, a worldwide uh, political government that's against, uh, uh, that's inspired by the Antichrist and against Christ. Others think it's just organized uh, mankind against God. What we do know, what we do, whether it's religion, whether it's political, whether it's just organized community against God, what we do know is she represents mankind in opposition to God. 
mankind and being drawn away. She represents mankind being drawn away from the true value, from the true worth, from the true beauty of Jesus. And, and it's hard to miss. John's intentionally drawing something here. Here you've got a, a prostitute dressed in scarlet and purple and gold and all this kind of stuff. But in Revelation 19, you're going to get the bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem. Now, do you want... Uh, a pure and precious bride to live with, or do you want a prostitute decked out in all kind of flattery to live with? God is drawing a very clear picture, and the picture is his ways are best. Jesus is of worth, any, worth more value than anything this world can offer us. The heads and the horns and the blasphemous names link the beast uh, with the, the beast with the dragon. This is all inspired by Satan. This is a satanic movement going out through the world, probably enticing governments and countries and people that align with her. And what I want you to see in this, what I want us to see, in the glittering splendor, uh, scarlet and purple, very rare clothes in those days. These, this is the red carpet stuff that you see the actors and actresses wear. This is the finest material they can have. This is very, very nice dress. She has glittering splendor, but exceedingly evil, okay? Gold necklace. God, I mean, she is decked out. She is a, and understand, she's not a person now. That, that means she's representative of either religion or government, something country, something like that. Powers arrayed against God. Human powers are arrayed against God. But what I want you to see is rich, beautiful, very, very enticing. And she's described as a prostitute. That's why a lot of translations won't have adultery, but they have fornication. Why? Because she's not married. These are not talking about God's people now. This is talking about people outside of God. These are lost people. And uh, he's talking about, so the word to us tonight, the word to us tonight is how these people are dazzled by beauty, fame, fun, pleasure. We are not to be dazzled by the world. The world has a lot of bling. The world has a lot of glitter. The world has a lot of temporary fun, pleasure that it offers us. But the things of the world, and even good things, things like money and sex and pleasure and entertainment in God's economy are beautiful and blessed and outside of God can become very wicked and harmful. It's also a word for us to remember that power outside of God, not submitted to God, is extremely, extremely dangerous. Now, it's interesting that Babylon the prostitute is in deliberate contrast with the worth and beauty of Christ. Verse 1 says, she sits by many waters. Uh, Babylon actually did sit. The Euphrates and the Tigris rivers came near Babylon, and so they came down from the mountains, and so she actually really did. Us, uh, Babylon did sit by waters. But here, Revelation 15, I mean, 17, 15 tells us what these waters is talking about, clarifies it. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw were the prostitutes sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. She's going to rule over many people. Her rule is going to be contagious. And sin is often that way, isn't it? It's contagious. Your best friends and your closest friends ought to be godly friends. Now, we all want to have friends who aren't saved because we want to share our faith with them. But we need to remember the adage that 
if my friends are influencing me away from Christ more than I'm influencing them toward Christ, then I need to watch myself. I need to hold up. And, and when I say that, sometimes when I say things like our closest friends need to be godly friends, or I tell people you need to be careful about your friendships, they're going to affect you. When somebody says to me, oh, they're not affecting me, they won't affect me, typically they already have, and they're the only one that can't see it. And so sin is contagious. She's affecting peoples and multitudes and languages. Now, the Bible says that John's carried away into a wilderness. He's carried away into a wilderness. The wilderness stands against and away from Babylon. Away from the great, we're going to see in a minute she represents great Babylon. He's away from the great prostitute, the dazzling prostitute. And what's John saying? The wilderness stands away from and in opposition to. Don't get too close. Don't try to see how close to temptation you can get and not be affected. The, 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 the spirit carries him to stay away. Always fight temptation. Always try to stay as far away as you possibly can be. Historian Shelby, Shelby Foote tells of a soldier that was wounded in the Civil War at the Battle of Shiloh. And uh, he was wounded, so they took his gun and gave it to another soldier, and they told him to go to the rear, where he could be taken care of and away from the fighting and stuff. And so um, they did. A little while later, he made his way back to the front and told the uh, general, he said, I want, my, I want my weapon back. And he said, why? He said, this fight ain't got no rear. <laughs> There's fighting all over the place, right? Look, you're going to be... a you're going to fight all over the place in this war, right? The dazzling attraction of the enemy is just going to hang out there. We need to be aware that all that glitters is not gold, right? I read about another guy. He said he was at a kiosk in the mall, you know, one of those little small places in the middle of the mall where you can buy, you know, phone cases and, and, um, and um, jewelry and T-shirts and caps and things like that. And he and his wife are sitting there, and his wife is, is looking at something. And he said, while she's looking at something, there's, um, in his words, a young, shapely uh, woman comes walking by in a tight-fitting, uh, short dress. And as she walked by, uh, his eyes followed her. And his wife's sitting there. Her eyes never leave what she's looking at. And she says, I hope that was worth the trouble you're in. <laughs> See, when you think nobody's looking, somebody's looking, right? So the idea is the world tries to dazzle. Satan tries to paint up the temptation. Always remember, there's a hook in it. Don't be fooled by the dazzlement of the world, by the glitter of the world. It is not worth it. Second thing I want us to see is there, there's a distinction. And this, the distinction is this. The people of the world just flow with temptation. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are to fight against it. We're not to give in to it. And when we do give in, what do we do? We run to Jesus, right? As quickly, and part of, part of Christian growth is you get quicker from the time you sin to the time you confess shortens. You don't lay in it. Yeah, a friend of mine said, you know, when I was backslid, I used to lay up in sin. <laughs> you don't lay up in it. You know, you try to run to Jesus as quickly as possible. You fight against it. Now, watch what happens here in Revelation chapter 17, verse 5. And on her forehead, a name was written, 
Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. And we see names or marks on people's foreheads a good bit in Revelation. Look, if you will, in Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Revelation 9, 4, they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God, where? On their foreheads. Revelation 14, 1. Then I looked and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion with him 144,000 having his father's name written on their foreheads. One more, Revelation 13, 16. This is in the negative. Now, these are all, those are all positive, right? Here's the negative one. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands and on their foreheads. What's the idea there? I don't think it's literally on the foreheads. This is a sign of ownership. This is a sign of identification. In fact, they say in ancient Rome around this time and, uh, that, that there were a lot of times that harlots actually wore their name on headbands on their foreheads. And so what God is saying is, is, I've marked my people. When you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit come within you and you are to be different. You are to identify. Baptism is the first identifying uh, action, but not exactly, but one of the first identifying actions we take as I am a follower of Jesus now. We need to look for opportunities at work, at, 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 where we're at the restaurant, uh, with our friendships to identify, not in a proud way, not in a judgmental way, not in a look down our noses way, but identify ourselves as followers of Jesus. Why do you do that? Why don't you go there? Well, I, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus, and that doesn't seem like something he would want me to do. Um, that's a lot harder to say. And I said, don't, you know, well, if you were a Christian, you wouldn't go there either. I'm not talking about that kind of thing. I'm talking about in a positive, joyful way that we, are, we understand that we are followers of Christ. Now, in this day, the day that John wrote, these people would think, when they hear this Babylon the Great, they're going to think Rome because Rome was the wicked city, the controlling empire of the day. And Rome, well, at this time, guys, Rome was a city uh, and a culture of extreme, extreme promiscuity and extreme uh, inequality. One commentator wrote, one historian wrote this, those who had power, the male citizens, were able to express their sexuality by taking who and what they wanted when they wanted. And anything from, from uh, adultery, fornication, to homosexuality, to pedophilia, all that was common in ancient Rome. We think we're the first generation to, to be in uh, contact with all this kind of stuff, but we're not. Ancient Rome was an incredibly immoral kind of a city, so that's what they're going to look at. Now, he calls it Babylon. Um, they're going to think Rome. If we think Babylon, we might think all the way back to Genesis 11 with Tower of Babel, same place. Babylon comes from Babel, okay? And what was Babel? Babel is where they built a monument to reach up to the heavens. And the key phrase there is that they were going to make a name for themselves. They make a name for themselves. And that's what all this, this Babylon, ancient Rome, all of this is about mankind making a name for himself or herself. And what John is saying all through Revelation is what? We're to make much of Jesus. We're to, make, we're to honor Christ. We're to make a name for Christ. We're not the hero of the story. Jesus is the conquering king. And so you have this prostitute, and the Bible says that she gets drunk 
on the blood of martyrs. In John's day, uh, Christians were being put to death. And, and, and even after this, Christians are going to be thrown to the lions. Their blood is going to be spilt. And then, and then when you go into the future, there's going to come a great persecution, as best we can tell. The Revelation, this is probably, um, if you have this as the rapture and a literal seven-year tribulation, this is getting toward the very end now. But there's going to be a great persecution against believers. And uh, we saw those of us who were able to come to the uh, Voice of the Martyrs thing the other night, we saw that the blood of Christians are being spilt today around the world. And we're very, very grateful we don't have that, but we can look at the end of time, right before Christ comes back, we can look for an intensification of that kind of persecution. And you would think it would break people's hearts, but it doesn't break their hearts. They are thrilled about this. And there's a word for us here. Because the power leads them to spill the blood of others. It is an abuse of power, an abuse of influence, raining down upon the heads of Christians. And there's a world for us here because in our day, in our day, there are a lot of churches that are relaxing their sexual standards. And God hasn't relaxed his yet. In a lot of churches today, there is a promotion of wealth. If you live right, pray right, do right, God will give you money. And one of the first things you need to do is give us your money. And that way God will give you, give you 10 times back. There's that tolerant of people. You know, church, some churches are going that direction of we want to be tolerant of everybody. Now, we want to love everybody. But the interesting thing is a lot of times the people that are hollering tolerance the loudest are some of the most intolerant if you don't agree with them. Okay, there's a difference in being tolerant, uh, and then you're intolerant if you don't agree with me. We're to love everybody, but we're never to relax God's standards. And then there's a, a, real, a real temptation to court political power. And guys, I'm telling you, you don't want to get in bed as a church with politics. It will be disappointing. I mean, it's corrupting. And we want to be able to say, we want to be able to stand back and say to whoever is president and whatever political party is in charge and whoever is the political leaders, to be able to say, we pray for you, we love you, this is God's standard, and this is sin. And it doesn't matter if we voted for him or we didn't vote for him. We need to be able to call our nation to righteousness and not just jump in on somebody else's campaign platform and say, we're for you. No, we want to stand as God's spokespeople. Third thing I want you to see is that it's deceptive. And John, John marvels. He's amazed at the sinfulness of mankind. Look at the deceptiveness of temptation. Boy, it can be very, very deceptive. Look in verses 8 through 10, Revelation 17. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go on to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth, remember those who dwell on the earth are the unsaved. Every time John uses that, he's talking about people that don't belong to Christ. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names were not written, that he identifies them as the lost, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was, that is not, and yet is. Here's the mind of wisdom. The seven heads are the seven mountains on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not and is himself also the eighth, and is of the seven, it is going to perdition. Um, 
I've read a number of commentaries uh, in preparation for this. Uh, most of them say this is one of the most difficult sections of Revelation to interpret. In fact, there's one guy who's hardly in doubt about anything. He's one of those guys, he knows his stuff, you know. And, and, uh, and he says he's in doubt about what a lot of this means. So the, so the thing that's, that's weird about this is the beast that was and is not and is himself the eighth. He was, he is not, and then he comes back. And so you have to try to wrestle with that. What is this, the beast we typically think of as the Antichrist? By the way, the great prostitute, the great harlot, is in, she rides on the back of the beast. I mean, they're very together. They're very in sync uh, against God. And so how do, you, how, do you, how do you deal with the beast that was, he was not, now, now he is again? Uh, a lot of people point back to Revelation 13 where it talks about the beast had a fatal wound. If you remember that discussion, I won't go into all of that, but a couple of things it could mean. It could mean that his kingdom took a strong hit during this sometimes and then had to come back. It could mean, a lot of people believe that it means he had a fabricated death, disappeared for a while, and then came back. Some people believe he actually died, and then he came back possessed by a demon from hell, and that, you can make an argument for all of those, and that makes a pretty strong argument for what we see here. Uh, the thing that you want to see is the last part of verse 11. It says it two or three times here, it's two times at least in, in Revelation 17, it says, and he's going to perdition. Okay, he was... And he was not, it came to power, had, had some kind of break in power, whether he died, fabricated a death, or it's his kingdom, but he had some kind of break, and then he comes back. But watch, watch what happens. Some people are going to think that he probably either his kingdom or himself, the Antichrist, was actually resurrected back from the grave. But what's happening here, whether it's a fake or real resurrection, he's resurrected fake or real to what? Perdition. He's going to hell. That's what he comes back to. And so that's one reason we need to understand the deceiving and the deceptive part of this is while things can look good for a while, ultimately it is not going to be good for him and for any of his followers. Compare that with Jesus. Revelation chapter 1 verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Watch this. Who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. You can hear the beast is a parody. It's fake. It's counterfeit God. Trying to set himself up as God, but not having the goods uh, to pull it off. Verse 8 also mentions the people whose names were not written in the book of life. Aren't you glad? Here it says our names are written in the book of life from before the foundation of the world, which means what? God knew you were going to choose Christ one day, and he's already got you settled down. And the idea, the idea is that you can't be deceived by all of this. Matthew 24 talks about the end of time with, with such deception. It's what I'm talking about here. And there's going to be some miracles. There's going to be some signs. There's going to be some pressure to give in to what the Antichrist is doing. And Jesus said, unless the days were shortened, the very elect would be deceived. And that's, this verse is kind of backing up what he's talking about there. And he talks about the seven kings, seven heads, seven mountains in verse 9. Uh, Rome was known as the city of seven mountains. And so John's audience would have automatically thought of Rome to start with. The uh, first century, the first, uh, the first commentary written on the book of Revelation was a guy named Victorinius. And he wrote that people and cities and governments here are referring to the seven mountains, are referring to uh, Rome. And then you have seven kings. He said five died, one's in power, and one's to come. Uh, some people think these are the, um, the past emperors of Rome. A lot of people believe that. 
doesn't add up exactly right. Some people think it's, it's former governments that are in power, but he says five have fallen. One is and one has not yet come. The basic idea here is this. There have been powers opposed to God in the past. There were powers in John's day and there are governmental powers in our day that are opposed to God. I mean, you just think about what we saw in the voice of the martyrs. Think about North Korea. Think about Afghanistan. Think about Iraq and Iran. I mean, there are, there are governments that are just absolutely against the cause of Christ. And there's coming another one. There's coming a, there will always be governments and political power that are against God and against his kingdom. And then he says the eighth king is the final one uh, to come. Now, here's what's important. Here's what's important. In the midst of all this, evil will be divided. Evil will not triumph. Evil will not succeed. It says in verse 12, there will be 10 kings. These 10 kings seem to be different from the seven governments, and they're going to turn. Here's the interesting thing. They are going to turn against the, great, against the great prostitute. Look, if you will, in Revelation chapter 17, verse 16. Now, he says they're going to only rule for an hour. Now, that doesn't mean a literal hour, but it means either in man's term or God's term, their rule will be short. Look at Revelation 17, 16. Watch what he says. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, which are ten probably independent kings that turn against whatever the prostitute is in charge of, whether it be religion or government, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Interesting words for a prostitute. They're going to strip her naked. And a lot of times stripping was standard practice for execution. It was also standard practice for arresting someone who had been sexually unfaithful. And so he's saying, man, look, these wicked people, the great harlot and then these other kings, they're, they're going to be divided. They're not one happy bunch of evildoers that are getting along, easing along, everybody happy with each other. It reminds me sometimes I hear somebody, I just shudder when I hear this, somebody will say something so foolish. They'll say, well, I'd rather go to hell with my friends than go to heaven and be bored. Have no idea. For a while, it looks like the great prostitute is doing great, doesn't it? But then they turn on her. Stripper, burner flesh with fire, which says what? In temptation, we give in. There is no good chance of a good outcome. Look at Revelation chapter 17, verse 14. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And those who are with him are called, are called chosen, and faithful. Uh, this is getting toward the end, the final great war. They make war with the king of kings, and they are hopelessly outmatched. They get involved in a battle that they cannot win. Cannot win. It's a foolish decision. It's an interesting thing. You, you got here, you're talking about the, the pictures are of sexual unfaithfulness. The pictures are of drunkenness. The pictures are of abuse of power. Uh, as I was studying this, I remember a guy. I mean, it's a battle you can't, you, it's dazzling, but it's a battle you can't win. I was asleep in my dorm one time when I was in college and somebody knocked on the door and uh, they were taking up money to get one of our buddies out of jail. Uh, one of the guys that lived in our dorm had gotten, had gotten arrested 
this gives you the idea of the folly of thinking you can beat Jesus, folly of thinking give in to temptation and come out well. Uh, he was at a bar and he was drunk and he wanted some cigarettes. He didn't have any money. And so he was at, y'all remember the cigarette vending machines? Yeah, so he's laying on the floor with his arm up the vending machine. <laughs> trying to steal the cigarettes, and uh, they caught him, oh, shocker of all shockers, and uh, the bouncer got him, and he decided he wanted to fight the bouncer. <laughs> See, poor decision after poor decision after poor decision, and what he ended up, and we laugh at that, but that's kind of what it's like. We think we can do better than what God's plan is, isn't it? And so, with the entertainment of our world, and with the social media of our world and with the language of our world, the entertainment, I really believe God is um, broken heart of the entertainment. A lot of the entertainment that we uh, used to could only find somewhere out there would not have dreamed is now being streamed uh, right into our homes. And so I, I would encourage you tonight, if we talk about temptation, don't be sucked in. Don't give in to it. Continue to pray, Lord, deliver us from evil i'll close with this when i was in ukraine uh i saw this um the united states is, is a fantastic nation in a lot of ways we give out more aid to around the world than anybody i know of we send out more missionaries with the exception of maybe south korea they're catching us on missionaries but we're also one of the biggest importers of immorality our TV shows, our movies, and things like that. When I was in the Ukraine, uh, when they first got, they were, had, had been free from, from the Soviet Union and Bibles could be and they could have Christianity. And uh, they were telling me, I saw some of the pastors, and they were very humble about saying this. One of the things they said was, you know, when we first got freedom, uh, people were so open to the gospel. We would hold a gospel meeting and hundreds would be saved. And everybody wanted a Bible. But the more, and they use the term West, but I know what they're talking about. The more and more entertainment from the West came in and more and more the values of the West came in. Divorce skyrocketed, greed skyrocketed, immorality skyrocketed, inappropriate, inappropriate dress skyrocketed. He said it just, and now we have gospel meetings and uh, maybe a dozen five or six might get saved because what because the immorality and the, the dazzle of the world has dimmed the appetite they had for Jesus and we want to be a people that stand against evil and not let it steal our appetite for Jesus would you stand please with heads bowed and eyes closed Be heads bowed and eyes closed no one looking around tonight as we pray, I want to encourage you to see where all this lands with you tonight. As Lisa comes and, and plays a hymn of commitment for us tonight. This morning we talked about being unstuck. And uh, tonight uh, we talked about temptation and uh, where it's coming from. And, and we see it on a worldwide scale in Revelation 17. But I want to draw us down to ourselves tonight. Is there a place that we tend to compromise? We see that Revelation 17 is such a dramatic picture. The temptation, when we give in, does not go well. There cannot be a good outcome.